I'm Josh Woodman, former CFLer, and you're listening to the Pro Sports Podcasters. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome back to the Pro Sports Podcasters. I'm your co-host, Mr. Nee Wallace-Bruce, and I am joined by the talented Mr. Justin Williams. Justin, how are you doing? I'm doing so much better now that I can hear your voice twice over. It's it's so soothing. I love it. The accent, oh, makes my day. Double the accent. Yes, yes. My DMs are open uh, at the real NWB <laughs> on Instagram. But anyway, wait, we're not here for that. We're here to talk sports. We are the Pro Source Podcasters, and we have a special guest joining us from the west west side of Canada. She covers all things Saskatchewan Riders and more from the great province of SK. It is the one and only Daniela Ponticelli. Daniela, how are you? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Now, it's we're getting to the business end of the CFL season. The Green and White, they've had a pretty good run. Uh, some bumps in the road, but what's the mood out there um, in the prairies? Well, you're saying this very optimistically. Very There's, there's some hope in your voice. I like <laughs> to look at it the same way. Truly, this is not the season that fans had expected. There is such a high bar here just in any given season, let alone a Grey Cup year. Everyone was so dialed into the riders the last few years, always making it into the playoffs with uh, certainty, and this time not so much. And that has really shifted the tone, not to mention five losses they were consecutive to at home. That is just something that hasn't been, it just hasn't been a factor for many years. So I would say the mood out here, it all depends who you ask. There's those diehard fans, many, many of them who say, I don't care what happens. I'm supporting the team. I'm in it all the way through, no matter what. And there are a lot of fans who do not feel that way. And the pulse is this team needs to make drastic changes as soon as the season is over Lots of folks calling for this staff member, this coach, this person to be fired. We will see how the chips fall. But I think the biggest thing is just if the riders can make it, obviously, into the playoffs in that crossover spot, we're in good shape. And I do believe that the sh- that the tone will shift entirely at that point, too. There we go. I guess they got to get to the dance first and then mm-hmm. good things can happen. Now, what would you say has been holding them back on the field this season? Which positions do they need to improve most urgently? I mean, the biggest one off the hop was the nine weeks, the first nine weeks at uh, right tackle. It was a big question mark, and it's not all at the feet of Natai Rogers, who is no longer with the team, but there was so much uncertainty, so many problems with that one position, and the biggest one being that sometimes that position would lock down and then another piece of the O-line 
would crumble. The O-line has really been the biggest story. And it breaks my heart because I know the guys, I don't know them obviously personally, but just from meeting them and interviewing them, and they all have big hearts. They're all very dedicated and disciplined and care. It's not about that, though. It's about the fact that the O-line, as a unit, there was always that moment of this person's not doing their job, so it failed. And then the next play, another person wasn't. And that was causing it to completely crumble. Now, looking with with Dan Clark back at center, he was out week two in Edmonton with a really big, uh, with a bad injury. Um, he not only broke his leg, but he shifted his ankle. And that's really what delayed the process there as well. Because uh, broken bones, obviously, you're able to work through within a very strict amount of time if you can. But with Dan being back last game, that was huge. It was so huge, in fact, that the Riders did not allow a single sack, which <laughs> they have the most in the CFL by a country mile as a team. So that's, uh, that was a really big win for the O-line, but that was certainly, I would say, the number one piece. And then once the O-line started getting better, there was all, always penalty issues. So penalties were huge, at least for the first half of the season dumb penalties, misconduct penalties, the discipline wasn't there. And then finally, now it seems the defense that started off so strong, having spent all that time on the field, they hit a bit a bit of a mid-season. So I know I've sort of touched on everything, but that's kind of what it has been. It's been a story of if it's not this, it's that. Then there was the COVID game. Then there was the stomach flu game. <laughs> it has been a wild season out here, I got to tell you. There we go. Yeah, I I definitely co-sign that. If if you're not winning the battle in the trenches, it's very hard to win matches. Mm-hmm. So you got to look after your, your guys in the backfield. So I definitely get where you're coming from there. Yeah, so I've been following the Rough Riders for quite a while, since about 2016, Dude. actually. Um, and actually, I first started following them the year... And that same year, they got fined fifteen thousand for too many people yes. on their roster. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I was just, I was just wondering if that impacted them financially because it was fifteen thousand. Then the COVID year, which didn't happen, and then like now. So I'm, I'm assuming they've rebounded from that, but have they have they taken the proper steps to ensure that won't happen again? Oh, that is such a great question. Obviously, I'm speaking to you for, as a complete outsider. I don't know the uh, the inner workings of that, but I can say. The thing that struck me the most about the COVID year was seeing the team, and by the team, I mean uh, President and CEO Craig Reynolds, speak publicly to the fact that their financials were essentially the worst it had ever been at that at that point. We're talking about, I think this would have been either late 2020, early 2021. That was obviously when the CFL was also hoping to maybe get some federal government assistance the reason why that's so shocking is that the riders have a history of like in the, in the late nineties, for example, early two thousands, they were doing telethons trying to raise money, right. As a club. So it has been such an up and down journey for this team as it is. I do not know what their financials are at this point, but I can say that uh, a losing record probably doesn't help. Let's just put it that way because the only true sellout we've had at Mosaic stadium this year was the Labor Day Classic. And now, I mean, I can imagine that the Great Cup festivities will add a nice boost to that uh, to a certain degree and obviously bring in some some more renewed interest. But I can't really speak to the financials. All I know is 
that that moment in time really stood out to me, Justin, where hearing that the club was in its worst financial straits, considering how bad their financial straits have been before, <laughs> prior. <laughs> um, that's all I can say. But I, here's hoping, right? That's such a big part of this, too. I've We've had so many fans call in. One of the things I do is a post-game call-in show. A lot of fans want the team to throw money at this problem or do this at this. And part of me doesn't quite understand. I'm like, I don't know if that's even really a possibility. I don't think we can throw money at problems right now. I think the biggest thing is trying to work with, with what you have and work within what you have and, and move forward. But that's a really great question, though, because it is something I would be interested in knowing, especially coming through this season and post-Grey Cup. It's kind of what I thought of it, too. I mean, Toronto, we obviously don't really care too much for the Argonauts. We know they exist. But aside from like maybe Cloud Bethel Thompson, not many people know who who's playing on the team. But when I was there, actually at um, the uh, Edmonton Elks game, I, fun fact: I was on the jumbotron twice that <laughs> that night, and I was very happy to be there. Cool. <laughs> so That's awesome. my lame claim to fame, yeah, it was pretty awesome. Um, but anyways, moving forward, I just realized too that apparently Shaq Cooper is back again with the Rough Riders for his third time. Why? <laughs> Well, the pro- the running back, the running back issue. We ran out of running backs the last game in, the, uh, in Winnipeg. That's exactly what happened. And so Shaq Cooper, we asked head coach Craig Dickinson about this actually just today post-practice. What is it like letting a player go, bringing him back, letting a player go, bringing him back? And essentially, I mean, Craig is uh, from in my from my personal opinion, one of the nicest people. And so I can only imagine the conversation he has every time he has to let someone go. But he said, he's like, we, we always tell Shaq, be ready. We might need you. We might call on you. And Shaq has answered that call every single time. And this time it might actually lead to some decent playing time. And the, the biggest advantage for Shaq compared to, there are two other players. I know one of them is Sean Wilson that they're really keen on. And Sean Wilson was brought in actually just after the bye, had great practices early last week and then pulled his groin. So then he was unable to play in the last game. So we'll see if it's a Wilson Cooper uh, deal when it comes to the running back situation. But the fact that Shaq Cooper knows the systems, right? That's huge. So we'll see. But clearly the t- there's, there's been something that the team hasn't felt strongly enough about to keep him on. Or perhaps it is just the depth of talent that's there. You know, you just never know what those decisions are. But it's nice to have him back. It is funny to to think about because the amount of times I've had emails in my inbox saying, oh, Shaq, Shaq Cooper is back. (laughs) (laughs) He is back again, the same season. (laughs) Guess who's back? Back. back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There we go. Yeah, sometimes next man up is is very much a thing, you know. <laughs> you run into the depth. Well, job. and especially especially for the riders, let's be let's be clear. They have had so many injuries, illness, so on and so forth. The fact that the number one receiver on the team, and by number one I mean the highest paid receiver on our team, is still out. Duke Williams, we don't know exactly when he's going to return. He's not returning this weekend, I can tell you that for sure perhaps after the bye, and then Anthony Lanier II, a great interior guy on the D-line. We are missing him. We are feeling his absence. He had some, uh, there was like a head injury that was not football related. He's still out. He's not playing this weekend. So things like that, it hasn't just been what's happening on the field. There's been all these other 
elements to the season. And again, the team doesn't want to use that as an excuse, but you have to consider the impact of all these little things, all the small details that add up. And as I said, a guy like Anthony Lanier II, he is such a key player uh, on the D-line. There we go. Once again, back to trenches. Yes, <laughs> always win. comes down to that. Yeah. You can't win games without him. Now, Daniela, let's let's switch gears a little bit. Before you got into broadcasting, you were an athlete yourself, right? Yes, just a very, uh, yes, yeah. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> hey, you represent in Canada. That's no small feat. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So I was. Uh, I did. I did a lot more of the creative and and uh, yeah. I guess the creative arts. That's not the word I'm looking for, but we'll go with that. Just dance and uh, uh, aerial acrobatics is what I eventually tried dancing skills to, and I just fell in love with it and was able to represent Canada twice at this. Big event. A lot of gymnasts will know it. It's called the World Gymnastrada. It happens every four years. It's a competition to get into that event. And then the event itself is just a giant exhibition or showcase of talent from around the world. The best talent from around the world in gymnastics and circus arts and all of that. It's an amazing, an amazing uh, event, an amazing experience. So I, I hold that very close to me. And the fact I got to go twice <laughs> was even cooler. So, Yeah, that's pretty special. Uh, congratulations on that. And Thanks. Tell us a little bit more about your pathway from being an athlete to becoming a broadcaster. Well, the funny thing is I never saw those things, those two elements of myself really connecting. Uh, because as I said, I was really, I was super into dance. I was into competitive training. Uh, but I loved to be a writer and I wanted, my whole thing is I wanted to be a newspaper reporter. <laughs> that was my thing. Uh, and that was actually my first job was as a newspaper reporter and, uh, got into journalism and figured, you know, I just want to focus on news. News is every, and news is everything, right? So you cut, you end up covering part of news just in a very different kind of way. Sometimes it's more headliney, like this team won, this team lost. Sometimes it's all of the other things that surround a team. And funny that Justin mentioned he started following the team in 2016. That year was also chaotic, not just with the fines, but because Chris Jones was in town, things were just, <laughs> things were a little different. There were a lot of eyeballs on what was happening from a news point of view. And one of the things I tell people a lot about Saskatchewan is that even when you're in news, if you, even if you hate football or don't care about the writers, if you are in news, you have to care because oftentimes those stories will lead your newscast because it is what matters the most within the context of our community on any given day, or it has an impact on what's happening here. So from that point of view, um, sports was never far from what I wanted to do. I just didn't know that is what I really wanted to do. I, I was like, news, news, news all the time. I want to go cover floods. I'm going to go go to court and cover court cases. I'm going to go do this. And that's what I did. I just did all types of general news. And what really changed for me was in 2016, I started playing. I started playing, I guess that's a word, starting as a roller derby skater. So I put the quad skates on and uh, learned how to hit and learned how to take a hit and fell in love with this crazy sport. And through there, I realized that I could be a broadcaster and be a broadcaster for my sport. And that was really what just flipped the switch for me. So I started 
doing play-by-play and announcing public address announcing as well for games within Saskatchewan. And then in the uh, in January of 2018, I became the voice of Team Saskatchewan for a really big event in Philadelphia. And that, as I said, that's just what switched everything for me. And I realized I could do both. And then I started falling in love with sports in a whole different way because I started falling in love with it from the point of view that I could work in it as a broadcaster. And that's that's how I got into that. That's awesome. Love to hear that. It's clearly something that you love, so we like to see that too. Right. So I'm just going to switch back to actual Rough Riders because I have way more yes, questions. Please do. Yeah. Bring it on. Bring it on. Yeah. All right. So your quarterback. Um, it's a very love-hate relationship with Cody. Do you think he's going to get a new contract by the end of the year because he's, he's in his last season for his deal? Uh, or do you think they're going to move on and potentially uh, steal Bo Levi Mitchell? It all depends on how the season shakes out. The Bo Levi talk is really interesting. I, I think it's always it's always exciting to think of the what ifs. What if we bring in a quarterback who has Grey Cup champion experience, who is really solid, who wants to play and wants to win again. Mm-hmm. Oh, that would be pretty exciting. Okay, well, is he going to work well with Jason Moss? Or are you going to completely re, re you know, redefine the the OC QB relationship that's happening in Saskatchewan? Right. Uh, Cody is such a such a He's such a good face for this club in so many ways. And I just don't know whatever decision is made from the club's perspective. It's going to be a very hard one. And and it sounds lame. It is totally going to depend on do we make the playoffs like this game in Hamilton? I truly believe Cody understands that his job is on the line in this game, because Mm -hmm. if they do not come out with a win, if they do not figure out a way to at least get into the dance, get into the playoffs. I really don't know. I really don't know. All I can say is it would be really frustrating from a fan perspective. And again, this is what I heard from a fan perspective to have to go back into a rebuild. So basically if it's not Fajardo, it better be Bo Levi. (laughs) I don't know what else to say at that point, right? Like, I think this fan base is going We've got the pieces here, and especially when you look at this defense and in the people you'd hope to hang on to on the defensive side, there's so much talent there. It's so strong, and you don't want to lose all of that. And and then, of course, you have to figure out cap space and how much would Bo Levi cost, and what are you going to do with that? I do think, though, that Fajardo's heart is where it needs to be. Mm. Oh, I don't know. But you can't put it this way. Mm. This is a fact. Next season, you can't have the pairing of Fajardo and Moss. That's oh. all I'm going to say on that. I I don't know. I personally don't think you can have that pairing. I think something has got to give. And again, though, some people say, "Well, Fajardo's injured, and he is. He's been he's been injured the entire season, right? He's got his leg. He actually his leg was back in a brace today at practice. Might be preventative, probably is. But so that is a factor." But clearly something's not working in that dynamic. Something's not working in that dynamic. Or is it just the O-line, you know? <laughs> Do we circle back to that problem? That's such a tough question. I, I can say this, that the club couldn't ask for 
a better quarterback in terms of someone who's very positive, a great speaker, a great representative of the club off the field. And considering all the drama that has happened off the field with the Riders this season, they are very fortunate that their leader and their quarterback is at least offering a bit of a reprieve in that department. I mean, he had his their baby here. Like, how sweet is that? Little Luca Fajardo is a, is a Saskatchewan-born, you know... Um, little little member of the riders now. <laughs> it's really cute. So it's a great story. It's just you just wish that the the part on the field was clicking a bit better and more consistently because there's flashes of brilliance. Is it enough to head to a championship? We will see based off of what happens this Friday in Hamilton. Okay, so that was a really in-depth answer, and I very much appreciate <laughs> <Sorry>. that. <clears throat> no, it's all good. The more you speak, the better for us, essentially. Well, you know how it is. Uh, so just a couple points to kind of touch on there. Uh, the Rough Riders obviously have heart. Like, when I was there and they are facing the Elks, they took the uh, – <laughs> they lost the lead very early on. Uh, I think I was still in the bathroom when that happened. And I was like, oh, cool, <laughs> awesome, great. But I came back and you know they tied it up, took the lead, and then the Elks just had that amazing pressure at the second half. Literally like last quarter. And what I love about the CFL is the last two minutes, three minutes of a game can change everything. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, right? And a lot of NFL people sleep on that who may or may not be listening to this podcast right now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or hosting this podcast right now. <laughs> Anyways, neat. Uh, moving forward. <laughs> the, uh... <laughs> I'm not even mad. I know. Even Kobe. Kobe has to edit this, so he's going to listen to this. Uh, so if you just keep you know, chanting about how great the CFL is, eventually I'll convince all of them to go back to a game. My next question kind of going through this is how worried about you? How worried are you against the Tiger Cats? I only ask this because you guys have a winning record against them overall in the past, I believe, three seasons. Like Especially this year, you guys have clobbered them 13-30. Mind you, everyone was healthy at this time. But um, you guys do well against teams. Like your defense is what's there. Your O line is aside from the Alouettes and the forty one, but that was just forty one twenty. That was a beautiful, skyrocketed game. Do you, do you feel like you guys can handle Hamilton, especially if Hamilton being broken the way they are? My concern about Hamilton is their trajectory right now. Looking at this season, they seem to be the team. You know, everyone talks about getting hot at the right time. Well. Where When did you start stoking those flames? And I feel like Hamilton started doing that at the right time. And so they might be in a really good place. They're also coming out of their bye week, so they're well-rested. Not that the Riders haven't had a rest. They just had one prior to Winnipeg, and they're going into a bye, so that's great for them. But honestly, it's hard for me because I have always watched the Riders with a little mild anxiety and panic. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Because I just, when you care about a team, that's what makes covering a team I actually care about, which it would be so much easier if I didn't care what happened at the end of the game. But, you know, I'm, I was a fan first, long before I ended up working in this field. So there's always that little sense of, ah, I believe in you guys, but I'm worried about you. And I'm glad you mentioned that they have heart. But one of the most disheartening things I've seen, because I do the sideline work for home games, are those moments where you can feel the energy shift on the sideline. And I can feel that every game that they lost, you could feel that. And you could feel it well before, you know, the three-minute warning, right? You could feel it all, like, shifting earlier. And 
Sometimes you can feel the shift right before the half and you go, oh, thank God, because the half is coming up. They'll go into the locker room. They'll get their, you know, go-go spirits up and they'll attack the second half. Okay, great. But you can still feel that. And everyone always says, oh, well, that's not a thing. The amount of players or even um, other insiders, if you will, who have told me, oh, Daniela, you know, that's not really a thing in pro football. I'm not an idiot. I mean, I haven't played football, but I can always sense when someone's body language, their energy, their emotional output has changed. And you've seen that. You've seen that as well in the games where their discipline penalties were off the charts and they were then losing the game for themselves by setting them up in bad field position, by giving teams a fresh set of downs with their uh, bad play. And so that's been the toughest part. And so going into Hamilton, that's my concern. I want to see this team fight for every second of this game. I need to see it. I just, that's the part I don't see. You see it from certain players. Oh my gosh. Players like Mario Alford, who... He also had the stomach bug in Winnipeg, and that man ran back a touchdown. Like, what? <laughs> He's mm. incredible, right? So you see it from certain players. They will do what absolutely everything all the time. Larry Dean. Wow, what a story about Larry Dean. One of the older players on the team, you know, dealt with an Achilles setback, lost an entire season last year, and comes back and is just dominating in tackles. And he does it quietly, and what I mean by that is he just does his job and then he goes to the sideline, resets and heads back out and does his job. <laughs> hey, that's kind of what you want, right? Uh, I know that's not the most exciting sometimes for, for interviews, but he's, he's an incredibly thoughtful and reflective person when you do get to sit down and talk with him. And that's all seen on the field. So long story, a little shorter. Sorry, I, I'm making it harder <laughs> for you guys here, but. Hamilton is going to be a very tough test, and I believe it's more so because of the things that need to be worked out with the riders mentally for each and every single player and fighting through each and every single second of each and every quarter to fully play a full 60. So that even if you get an, inter you know, somebody intercepts Cody, or even if there's a multitude of sacks allowed, keep moving, keep battling for it. I just don't want to see that sense of oh we're back here again and that is that's where my concern comes from are you ready to stay fit this winter get off the couch with kettlebell kickboxing canada sign up now to their mobility and movement program use the code psp15 to get 15 percent off the one-time purchase of the program then it's yours forever no additional subscriptions or fees the program is available worldwide You have the right to be worried about the Rough Riders, especially with their mental state going into this and kind of feeling a little dejected. And these are both teams who are really struggling in their respective divisions. I get that. But keep in mind, Hamilton Tiger Cats are 4-10 and ten and riddled, absolutely riddled with injuries right now. I'm not, I couldn't even tell you their starting lineup like to date. Like I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure I – know they, I know they just got rid of their draft, 2021 draft, and got two people from reserve. Like they're scrambling at this point. So you have two new players coming in who don't know the playbook. They just lost to the Alouettes, which Alouettes are like randomly good this year. Like, where did you come from? Like, <laughs> hey, okay. they were my, I was asked, sorry, I was asked earlier this season who I thought in the East would rise to the top when nobody in the East was doing any rising. Uh, mm. And I had picked the Argos. <laughs> 
I had said there's something about McLeod Bethel Thompson, and what yep. I mean by that is you just never know what kind of McLeod Bethel Thompson you're going to get. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. a little bit of what's happening in Toronto is that sort of popcorny effect of brilliance and maybe not so brilliant, but still going to win and back and forth and back and forth. And <laughs> so I feel great that I sort of weirdly predicted that, but that was also something I just decided i'm like i'm gonna go with the argos on this one because i also think hamilton could be great but i don't know what's happening there right now so so especially with hamilton going to the uh to the playoffs last year again to the mm-hmm. blue bombers and, and all that stuff but like there again like the, the hamilton targets just lost to the alouettes who you know have beaten the blue bombers which I, at this point it's just like <laughs> if you can beat the blue bombers you might as well just get the gray cup at this point because they're <laughs> yeah but there again hamilton also beat the blue bombers but hamilton again did it off of just pure like home crowd energy and yes we're mm-hmm. going into the tigers home crowd yep however however rough riders have got their number before stampeders have slapped them everyone has slapped the tiger cats they're four and ten riddled with injuries they they're not making the playoffs they hate the fact argonos are on top this is rough riders game to win and they need to and they're going to i put five bucks on the rough riders to win by at least 14 points okay i like that confidence i mean i put money on the riders to win I think it's going to probably be a closer game than we would like it to be. And I say we as in like the writer fan base, that part I'm going to stick mm-hmm. with. But I also just, after seeing them uh, get swept by the Argos this season, which that hasn't happened since 1991, or seeing them lose to the Elks in that game uh. that I still can't wrap my head around. I mean, again, I never want to assume, okay, you're the worst in the league, so it should be easy. But wow, <laughs> it shouldn't have been. It shouldn't have been that easy for the worst team in the league to come in and win. And it was also just like extra bittersweet for some of the fans more so than even the players that uh, Chris Jones, you know, waltz back into Mosaic Stadium and did that. For the record, though, Chris Jones, every player I speak with on the Rider side who's obviously still with the team, they have great things to say about him because they he either brought them in or. He coached them and made them better, and they're still part of the team. So obviously they're they're going to have a much different perspective of him than maybe some other players. But uh, yeah, it's just interesting, and I'm also not surprised by the way that Chris Jones got John Ryan finally to join his team. <laughs> he wanted to apparently get John Ryan <laughs> for the longest time. So here for we are. days. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a brilliant answer. I'll be for sure messaging you during the game, being like, I told you it's 14. Anyways, uh, well, Okay, yes, please. I hope that you're messaging me that. <laughs> I want to be wrong. I tell callers this a lot, too, when they challenge me on something. I say, listen, I want to be wrong. <laughs> bring it on. <laughs> if this is going to bring good, you know, mojo for Juju, the team, yeah. let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> there we go. Uh, that's awesome. Now, talking about your uh, calling, you cover a few different sports, and mm-hmm. we can find you over at in Saskatchewan on six twenty CKRM. Mm-hmm. Are you a fan of country music? You know, I have. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are looking at your clocks, like, and how long is this? Go. Uh, in no, short, okay. yes, I am. I am a fan of country music, but because I'm not born and raised Saskatchewan, I have an appreciation for it. I love a good country concert. In fact, on my birthday this year, I got Creighton. to check out. 
not Craven. It was a few weeks after, but uh, Tennille Arts from Weyburn, Saskatchewan, who is crushing it in Nashville. She came out to play a show and it was like two and a half hours. It was so good. So I do love, I, well, I mean, I just love live music in general, but uh, I love a good country show and I've been fortunate to see many fantastic acts. So yes, I'm a country fan. However, my pump up soundtrack playlist is does not include country. <laughs> Fair enough. What, so what, there you go. <laughs> what's your favorite pump up track at the moment? Oh, I gotta say Lizzo. <laughs> <laughs> I love Lizzo right now. She's you just so much fun. Yeah, actually, the, to be loved. I don't know. That's that's my jam right this second. I think I listened to it right before I came on here. Nice. <laughs> actually, I don't know why. So it's just a da 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 da. Just gets me going. Yeah, it's good times. But I, I listen to pretty much any style of music. There's times when I want to, you know, uh, put on some rock or, uh, yeah. But and rap, obviously, big fan. Nice. So it's kind of a whole mix. But country. Yes, I have an appreciation for it. <laughs> Very good. Now, just switching from the field to the ice for a second, because I know you cover the the Huskies out there in um, mm-hmm. Saskatchewan. We we follow the the PHF a little bit, and I know the league's expanding. We've got a team in Montreal. Most of the players that we've seen have come from Eastern universities, like yes. UConn and some of the universities up on this side of the country. Are there any players we should be looking out for from the Huskies that could potentially make the jump to the PHF in the next year or so? Wow, put me on the spot, why don't you? So, <laughs> yes, I'm I'm the voice of the Huskies women's hockey program. But because I'm now calling football this fall for the very first time, uh, I'm going to be a bit more delayed joining in with the team's program. So I've been watching from afar. I'm not quite as involved. One player who comes to mind almost instantly is a player by the name of Sophie Lawler. And the reason why she comes to mind is her passion is hockey to the point where she's seriously considering possibly playing in Europe because she has British citizenship as well. So she could conceivably do that. But she's obviously hoping to find some opportunities here in Canada. She went and did training down in the States and she's just got that on ice IQ where she has that vision and she can see things play out so nicely in front of her Uh, in the goal in between the pipes uh, watch out for Colby Wilson is amazing. And she just started. She's uh, in her only in her second year of U sports eligibility. I say started. She's been a goaltender for a long time, but Cameron Drever is uh, I don't know if I've met a a goaltender as dialed in as she is when it comes to, um, the discipline and and all of that, and I would love to see her get a shot at playing professionally and and doing so within Canada would be amazing. Mm-hmm. It's tough to say. I'm that, and that's just the Huskies. I'm not even talking about some of the other players who I was just thinking now off the top of my head about some players from UBC, but I do believe they've they've left U Sports, and I'm not sure what tracks they're on right now. But if I had to pick from the Huskies, that's that's who I would say. There's just so much heart and um, energy out of these kids. And then one of my favorite players just to watch, I don't even know if this will be included in the podcast, but her name's Kendra Zuhotsky. And what I love about it is she's just a farm kid. I say just a farm kid. She says she's just a farm kid. No one in her family played hockey. Mm. And she decided, I'm going to, 
I'm going to go play hockey. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so they live uh, they live on a farm that's in a place where because Kendra wanted to go play hockey, she'd have to do the four hour drive one way and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And just her shot from the point is just so powerful. <laughs> Of course, all the coaches are like, yeah, she's farm, she's farm strong. I'm like, she is. That That is terrifying. I would not want to have to try to stop that. So Yeah. Yeah, he is. Anyway, thanks for the question. I appreciate that. What I, I guess overall what that shows is that from one team, there is so much talent that could be scouted and mined. So now we just need to get more professional teams in need of that talent mm. to to be able to fill those rosters with great, great athletes who provide an exciting game it really is sad when you see how few people are in attendance although across the board in youth sports it's tough i'm Mm -hmm. not just saying that uh, but for the women's hockey especially the home crowds need to be bigger there's all the support around the men i think it's easy enough that they can figure out a plan there oh for sure now read me this as i said that the phf is expanding as, Mm -hmm. as much as it can i get that Traveling across Canada is not the the cheapest. Justin will, will tell me that. Um, he's mm-hmm, he's traveled mm-hmm. quite a few times this year, from Toronto to Regina. But can you see something a future where there's a team in the PHF from Western Canada in the future, wherever that may be? I fully believe so. Oh my goodness, you need to have a Western Canadian team. Hockey is just what people breathe here. Football too, but the support. That would go such a long way. If Saskatchewan had a team, there would be people. I fully believe there would be people filling that arena. And there is a nice brand new arena coming to Saskatoon in just a few years. So that's going to be exciting. That being said, there is always the possibility of the PHF considering a hub format. I mean, we're seeing more and more leagues moving to that kind of situation where you take the show on the road Mm. where you make it so that new fan bases are exposed to it. And then that way you're not relying on a given population to consistently come out and support. You also then avoid the issues of travel expenses being absolutely nightmarish for one club as opposed to another. Mm. The other thing to, to, to say is that whatever's working, for example, the CEBL, we're going to basketball for a second here. Mighty proud of them. They keep expanding all the time. And one thing that really got me was they included a Newfoundland team this year. That is huge because flying, as you know, to the Maritimes is even exponentially more difficult. It's expensive, but then also just trying to schedule flights and schedule times. And my goodness, the Fraser Valley to St. John's, uh, that swing is now the longest flight in professional sports within or the the longest trip in terms of distance in professional sports within North America. So they're able to do it. They're able to figure out a plan in a way. And again, it is different. I'm kind of comparing apples to oranges because the other side to it is women's sports are notably under-resourced and underfunded. So something has to shift, but I like that there are options. It doesn't have to be this model of one home city, that's it. That's all. Maybe there is another way. And if it has to continue being based out of Ontario or more Eastern for the the beginning of it, so be it. It will eventually get to where it needs to be. But let's keep growing the amount of teams because then 
maybe a team from Ontario just relocates and brings with it a great fan base already and great support. There, there, there's ways around this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, Montreal have taken that hub approach. They're, they're going to be playing their matches all across Quebec, so the whole province will get to to see what the, the Montreal force are all about. So the model is definitely there. Yeah, I love that because, again, then you're not forcing the same people if they can't commit to it. You know, okay, well, we need this many season ticket holders, or perhaps what we need instead is to be able to say we're going to get a sellout for 75% of our season because there's enough change in demographics and enough people to kind of bring in that new money. There we go. Yeah, back to the CEBL real quick. I was like, mm-hmm. I thought they changed your name from Fraser Valley to uh, Vancouver Bandits, which apparently that change just happened very recently. And I was like, oh yeah, I forgot that happened. I was like, I thought ah, they did. Yes. Then, I for- then I forgot it happened. And then you mentioned it. And I was like, why does that seem... There you go. Yes. My, my brain was still in last season or the, just this past one. Yes, you're right. A very, very recent name change. Yeah, no worries. I totally forgot about it until, like I said, it was brought up. Otherwise, I would have done the same thing. I'd have been like, yeah, the Fraser Valley Bandits. And I'd have been like, wait, why does that, why does that taste <laughs> Thank wrong? Thank you for correcting me. Yeah, no, that's great. I'm glad you got the right name out. No worries. But also for the Newfoundland thing, I don't know what's going to happen right now with the whole uh, tornado that happened down there, Hurricane Ian mm. or whatever. So hopefully the Newfoundland Growlers will be able to make a return. And Patrick Ewing Jr. loves it down there, which is just interesting. I mean, I think that's so great. <laughs> I love how they got Patrick Ewing Jr. for it. They're like, let's do a coach. Yeah, no, it's it's fantastic, and they've got great. Uh, they do have great individual talent. I was pretty proud of them. They were my they were my underdog pick for the season. I knew they weren't going to make it into the championship, but I was always kind of rooting for them. And then I actually chose against the Saskatchewan Rattlers uh, and picked the Growlers to win, and everyone thought I was insane. And guess what? Guess what? The Growlers got their first ever franchise win against Saskatchewan. <laughs> so okay. there, I, I I feel very proud of that moment. I wish I could put that on a resume somehow. <laughs> it's one of those bittersweet moments. I know. I hate betting against Saskatchewan, but I'm also I'm like I don't think Saskatchewan's going to do well on one day's rest, having to go from playing in Saskatoon, flying, and basically landing and playing again in. Newfoundland, so it's a six and a half right. flight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a no, big it's, swing. It is. I mean, so you just talk about the CEBL expanding. They added three teams in one year. Mm-hmm. How crazy is that? So they added the Newfoundland Growlers, the Montreal Alliance, and then the Scarborough Shooting Stars, and then they threw Jay Cole in there just because you need hype. It worked. It 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 worked. Drake went. The weekend went. Belly went. Who's like yep. a rapper? He was, Everybody went to see J. Cole. It was great. And then J. Cole peaced out for tour. <laughs> yes. And unfortunately, he peaced out right before Scarborough came to visit <laughs> Saskatchewan. <laughs> yeah. So we were all a little disappointed that we didn't get to see. But we had J. Cole watch on. Um, I also hosted a show this the CBL season called Rattlers Rundown. So we were a little bit bummed. We had J. Cole watch for a while. And then we had to drop it because <laughs> he wasn't part of it anymore. But it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, listen, J. Cole is, he's doing better here than he was doing in the, uh, I think he was in the Nigerian League or the Rwanda League, whichever one it was. Basketball Africa League, Justin. It was the Africa League? Yeah, he had like, what, 1.7 points and 1.7 assists. So, <laughs> But mind you, he played three games in the pandemic hit. Mm. Uh, so, I gotcha. So his, his stats are already... Great. 
Yeah, exactly. Mentally improving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Better than I could do. So we'll take them. Likewise. I mean, listen, they almost won a ring. So he that's did his part. They got to the finals. So that's the other thing I wanted to mention. Not only did they expand with three teams, two of them were really, well, were good. One was yeah. really, really good. Yeah. And the Growlers showed great promise considering that they performed as an expansion team is historically expected to perform. You know, they weren't out here golden knighting it, you know, they just, they just did what they did with the team that they had. And it is about laying the groundwork. And I was very glad to see that they at least were able to stack up some wins. I was a bit nervous that things were going to go the way of, are they going to actually just have a defeated season, (laughs) which would be really demoralizing and really difficult for the league, I think, to handle that. But As with anything, you give it enough games, you're going to get a win. You're going to find a way, and they did, against Saskatchewan, as mentioned, being the first one. Uh, But that's that's a big, big win for them. And you want those expansion teams to succeed. I I always want them to succeed. Maybe not over, (laughs) always over a team that's already there, if it's a team you like. But, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, it'd be nice if it wasn't your team, but we get it. (laughs) Yeah, as long as it's someone else's team, I'm fine with that. Honestly, as a Leafs fan, I can agree. Yes. <laughs> oh, Leafs. oh, that's tough. Yep, that's tough. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. So we're we're gonna switch right away from that topic. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Daniela, you mentioned the new Saskatoon Arena. Uh, who's gonna be in that arena? Sorry. So that will be the home of the Saskatoon Blades. Eventually, that's the WHL team, Western Hockey League team and the home of the Saskatchewan Rush Lacrosse Club, and where all their premier events will happen. Essentially, Sastel Center, I love talking about the Sastel Center, is a place that I'm very familiar with. I worked for the Saskatchewan Rush for two seasons. That's pretty much their home. And it's a big, clunky building on the outskirts of the city, and it just follows the pattern of all arena builds prior really prior to the late 1980s heading into the the switch to bring things back more into the core of the cities into core cities and just shows you how the times have changed but yeah the idea there was oh let's build it slightly outside the city we'll have ample parking and it is it's just this big big desolate lot kind of around the entire building and if you're not right in front of it you are in for a gnarly walk from wherever you're parked into the center there's it's really hard to get a cab or an uber like you can get one but it's going to cost you quite a bit because no matter where you are in the city you now have to drive out of the city so there's that element and there's the fact that after a show or after a game you're kind of stuck going where do we go next guys Mm. (laughs) because there's no bars there's no nightlife there's no scene you have to then really have the gusto to instead of just go home and party with your friends at home let's actually go out somewhere to continue having drinks or eating whatever so you can obviously understand that the economic impact that ripple effect that usually happens when there is a big show and everyone just streams out that's not there because you just stream out into a parking lot So long story short, they've been talking about downtown arena for many, many years. In fact, uh, the previous owner of the Saskatchewan Rush offered to put up about 20 million towards one if they were actually going to move forward with it. That was at least five, six years ago now. Uh, He no longer owns the team and that's just not 
on the table. But uh, it's going downtown. They're just trying to figure out exactly where. And of course, everyone, much like when I lived in Winnipeg and people were freaking out about the Winnipeg Arena being moved downtown. And how will we park? What will we do without realizing that your access to public transit suddenly immensely improves and even just your access to cabs or ride shares it suddenly doesn't seem daunting oh it's only 10 bucks yeah i'll take i'll take an uber no big deal and then you stream out of a jets game walk across the street you don't even have to walk across the street there's like a moxie's just downstairs all of that stuff right it's all there uh so the same discussions are happening in saskatoon people being really upset about well what are we going to do about parking how is this going to work we're just going to congest downtown meanwhile they're downtown so badly needs that boost. There's one uh, street downtown, 2nd Avenue. It's almost like a main street that the leasing office must be, it must feel like a carousel because people will grab a lease, open a business, five months later, be gone. Uh-huh. Grab a lease, open a business, five months later, be gone. There's just not enough foot traffic. There's And it sucks because Saskatoon's got such a beautiful downtown and it's small and intimate, but people don't not enough people spend time there <laughs> and the and the pandemic didn't help it because everyone just said well i can just order in i don't need to actually go to that building i don't need to actually go to that restaurant or be that foot traffic that walks by so there you go that's my long and short of it <laughs> uh, i'm very passionate about this though because i do believe that a new arena is necessary i have no skin in the game by the way on this i just it is going to be great for Saskatoon and really great for Saskatchewan, but especially Saskatoon. Well, I'm sure Justin will be visiting there sometime soon. And also, Justin, get ready because they're also building a brand new soccer stadium as well. Yeah. I... That's going to be settling in there. Yeah, they, they got rid of their horse racing. Like mm-hmm. the, the race, the horse racetrack is out and that's what's being built in its stead. And it, that's, I think Saskatoon very quickly is going to be, have a monopoly rather on some really great pro sports within this province. Sorry, is the CPL going there? Uh, yes, I believe so. What? Yeah. Yeah, see, you're coming at the exact right time. (laughs) So actually, when I was there visiting before the Riders game, there was the uh, TFC Mm three and Sunderland Mm -hmm. two team over it, and I was like, I missed that. By the, it was the day I arrived, and then like WWE showing up like two weeks later, and I was like, okay. Oh yeah, don't sleep on Saskatchewan. Like we we get great events out here because I always think the population numbers they skew people's belief of who's going to show up. But because there's only so much to do (laughs) in this province and sports is such a big part of Saskatchewan's identity, there is certainly room for more at the table as long as it's, uh, as long as it makes sense. And I think adding soccer into the mix is fan, just fantastic is what I was trying to say. (laughs) It's fan. It's fan, guys. It's yeah. fantastic. But it's go. fantastic because it, it speaks to our demographic changes. Every All the the newcomers to this province love soccer. Now, hopefully they'll also, you know, get into football. But football's a very difficult sport to just fall into. And the reason I say that is I'm from South Africa originally. And my family and I, like, we went to some Winnipeg Blue Bombers games when we were living there. I didn't understand a lick of it. So, of course, it was the experience of the game that sort of 
makes you come back as a fan. Like, oh, that was a fun experience. Mm-hmm. But it can be quite a quite a high bar to jump to get into what's happening on the field and be invested in what's happening on the field. Because as much as you like to go for the game day experience, you are not going to be a season ticket holder if you don't really care about what's happening on the field. Uh, at least that's just my take on it. Um, so that's what I'm saying is if you can foster a love of professional sports, that's great. And hopefully it'll just entice more people to consider coming out and watching other pro sports leagues. Oh, by the way, uh, the CBL Saskatchewan Rattlers would also play in the new arena too. All right, Danielle, before we let you go, we do have uh, some kind of fun little questions to ask you. Okay. Number one, have you ever had a poutine before? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Making sure. And what is your favorite type? I go with classic. I go yep. with classic. Just a good classic poutine. Call me boring, but I love it. And I also, I have had a poutine in Montreal, so I feel really good about that. <laughs> really authentic, eh? Mm-hmm. Love that. And where can our fans reach you on social media? So my Twitter and Insta is very public and very open. So Twitter is kind of the best way to reach me. It's at D Ponticelli, which I'm sure will be spelled somewhere <laughs> in this podcast, mm-hmm. but D Ponticelli TV. And I also giggle at that because right now I'm not on TV, but if I change my handle, it gets rid of my verified check mark. So I'm going to hang on to that check mark <laughs> and go with it. But that's why it's D Ponticelli TV. And then on Instagram, it's just at Ponticelli. And again, I mean, what you're going to get on Instagram is just some a little bit behind the scenes, but definitely more of my my personal side. And then Twitter is usually just reserved for sports, news, and that. Perfect. Well, I follow you on both now, so this will be fun. Oh, thanks, Justin. My pleasure. Yeah, just gave you a follow. Awesome. <laughs> thanks, thanks for that, Danielle. Thanks for your time. We appreciate it. And I grew up in the Southern Hemisphere as well. I was I was born in Australia, so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. So you know what it's like. I exactly. always tell people my birthday went from being in winter to summer, and I couldn't be happy. Absolutely, <laughs> Christmas was in the summertime growing up. Uh, now, now I know. my idea of white Christmas is going to the beach. <laughs> I know it's it. That part still gets me because obviously I have all my family still there, and sometimes I'm jealous that they get to go to the beach, but then I look outside my window and I think it's so nice. I have a cup of hot chocolate while the snow is falling down around you. (laughs) So it's nice. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. For even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website, www.prosportspodcasters.com. On our website, you will find our sports blog, full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel, and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP Insider and get exclusive access to our insider tips, sponsor giveaways, and insider newsletter. So don't miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcasts experience. Where no sport is left behind.